Luke chapter 6. If you have your copy of Scripture, would you open to Luke chapter 6? Or there's a pew Bible in front of you. You can follow along on page 1187. As we are in the sixth installment of our series entitled Radical, as we are looking at Jesus' sermon uh, from the latter portion of Luke chapter 6. And we will uh, pull that to a close next week as we talk about the parable of the builders. But this week we are going to look at only three verses and we're going to be in 43, 44, and 45. So let's read together from the Word of God, Luke chapter 6, beginning in verse 43. Jesus says, For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. A good man, out of the good treasure of his heart, brings forth good. And an evil man, out of the evil treasure of his heart, brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for this word. And God, we humble ourselves before it. We know that this is your holy and inspired, inerrant word. And Lord, it is intended for us as your people. Now, Father, I pray that you will use it to minister to our lives, to accomplish in us what only you can do. And God will give you the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, these uh, few passages here uh, that Jesus uses in his... uh, Sermon on the Mount or Sermon on the Plain, if you will. This is a little bit different than what you'll find in uh, similar passages in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7, which is a much longer, sort of uh, more in-depth sermon from Jesus. But they are similar. And if you uh, are familiar with the Sermon on the Mount, you know that when Jesus begins to talk about uh, knowing a, a tree by its fruit in Matthew chapter 7... He is speaking in terms of identifying false prophets. And that's where he says that they will come as wolves dressed as sheep and so on and so forth. Now here, Jesus is in a little bit of a different context. But what I want to point your attention to before we begin is that the Bible says that all Scripture is given by inspiration. And it is good for instruction in righteousness. And so you need not be concerned when, especially when you're reading through Uh, the synoptic Gospels in particular, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, when you're reading through the Gospels and you notice that there might be the same similar quotes used in different contexts, it's the Word of God. And it is inspired. And it is profitable in many different contexts. And in the same way you and I will use the Word of God in in, in the same, our favorite passage of Scripture, in a lot of different instances and different conversations, Don't be uh, uh, concerned when we see that in the Bible. The question is, what is the context in which the Bible is presenting this truth? So let's look together at these uh, three passages of Scripture, one at a time, and we'll pull this apart and see what the Lord is trying to teach us this morning. So first of all, we're going to see in verse 43, when Jesus says, A good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. The first thing I want you to notice is that every tree bears fruit. It's important for you to understand that we're not looking at one tree that bears fruit and one tree that does not. But both good and bad trees bear fruit. The question is, what sort of fruit are they bearing? And what sort of fruit is our lives bearing? So we are 
trees and the Lord is, is, is bearing fruit through some of us and others, uh, maybe the enemy or the world is bearing fruit through our lives. So what does this mean? I mean, why, why this discussion of fruit here in this context? And, and the, the thing I want you to understand is that the Lord here is calling us to be discerners of this fruit. In other words, we need to be able to determine which sort of fruit we're looking at. That's why the Lord is calling our attention here. And Jesus is telling us this primarily because everything that we've talked about over the last few weeks, we've had, we've been studying judge not lest you be judged and, and this uh, issue of going to somebody who has a speck in their eye when you have a plank or a beam in your own eye. Jesus is telling us this because we should be more concerned about the state of the church than the state of the world outside the church. Oftentimes, believers get very tangled up in the state of the world outside the church. Now, I'm not saying that we're not to be concerned about the world. I'm saying we need not be ate up with concern about the state of the world outside the church. Listen, I don't know how many times I'm going to tell you this, but I'm going to keep telling you this until I stop hearing this. We should not be amazed or just totally uh, befuddled by the terrible things that go around, uh, go on around the world. You just can't get caught up in that. And it grieves my heart when I see believers who get caught up in 24 hours of Fox News and they just sit there all clenched up with sweat running down their forehead going, I just can't believe it. What's going to happen? That drives me crazy. Listen, what do you expect the world to be doing apart from Christ? We need to be focused on the state of the church and not concerned about the state of the world outside in a political sense or in a in in some other sense other than outside of salvation we need to be concerned about the world as it pertains to Jesus Christ and that alone so let's look at this issue of being discerners of fruit disciples are known by fruit or disciples are known by their character i want us to talk a little bit about character this morning Fruit here is seen in character, the character of the person's life who we are discerning or our own life that we're looking at. And the question is, what sort of person are you? What sort of person am I when no one's looking? What, what sort of motives do we have behind the things that we do? Are we doing good things just to be seen or good things so that people think well of us? Or are we doing good things from a motivation of a pure heart and a godly heart? How do we respond when we don't have time to think about how we ought to respond? You see, that's when the truth really comes out, as we're going to see this morning. My favorite uh, definition of character I heard years ago. I've never forgot it. I've used this in sermon after sermon. Charles Stanley, I heard him say one time that character is the will to do right as God defines right regardless of the cost. That's what godly character is. The will to do right as God defines right regardless of the cost. So you can maybe remember that and consider that and think about that. Let me give you four components as I see it, of character. Four things that are going to establish what your character is and what my character is and what sort of fruit we're going to bear. Number one, our affections. What are the things that you love? And what are the things that you hate? What are the things that you are emotionally, affectionately connected to? Now, 
before we just let me give us a couple things to think about before we just jump in and start thinking, well, well, you know, I love my wife or I love my kids or okay, I'm not really asking you what you love. I'm really asking you, how do you love these things? And are they the right things? For example, do you love God? It's not really a yes or no question. It's more of the Bible says in Matthew chapter 22, that we're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. That's the standard of love with which the Bible calls us to. So are we consumed with a love for God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? What are our feelings and affections towards the Lord Jesus Christ? I mean, are we just sort of grateful that Jesus Christ offers forgiveness and that maybe we might be able to, you know, get get a free pass out of hell? Or the Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. You see, is your affection for Jesus such that it is characterized by an undying love? Okay, yesterday... As I just was so blessed watching so many people go up and, and minister to children who are parentless. You know, you just try to... Here's the key to, to ministry so many times. If you're saved and the Spirit of God is within you, all you need to do is have the ability to put yourself in the shoes of someone else. And immediately God will take over. You just try to imagine being a, a young child with no mom and no dad in a strange place, being raised by people you're not familiar with or related to. Now, if that doesn't give you compassion, there's something wrong. There's something wrong. So your affections, how do you feel about the poor? How do you feel about the defenseless? Here's here's how God feels about it. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, the Bible says He defends the cause of the fatherless and of the widow. And He loves the alien. He loves the foreigner, giving him food and clothing. That's the way the Lord feels about him. Is that your affection for the poor? See, I'm not asking you, do you care about the poor? I'm asking you, do you love the poor? Do you feel empathy for the poor? Do you want to minister in the name of the Lord for those who are poor and defenseless and lonely and struggling? How are your affections about these things? Now, what about the things we hate? Well, I mean, just simply, one simple example is, well, do you hate sin or is sin just something that annoys you? It's something that you don't particularly care for. Well, God feels a little bit different about sin. In Proverbs chapter 8, the Lord says that He hates evil. He says, I hate pride and arrogance, evil behavior and perverse speech, the Lord says. That's His hatred of sin. So our affections mold our character. Number two, our choices. Our choices mold our character. Now, what choices do we make What do we say yes to and what do we say no to? When we have the opportunity to make a choice, what what is the determining factor in whether we will say yes or no to something that comes into our life? For example, David says in Psalm 40, verse 8, I delight to do your will, my God. And that's just powerful. David says, I delight. You see, my my choice is, is that I delight to do your will, my God. For your law is within my heart. You see, choices matter to God. When you're given the freedom to choose and what you think about, think about how gracious God is. The same God that we call Lord, the same God that reigns and rules over the universe, gives you untold opportunities every day as His son and His daughter to choose. He gives you that freedom to choose. And the question is, how do we choose? Proverbs 1 says this, 
Now, now this is in the context of, because the preceding verses, the, the Lord is saying, well, they're going to come and pray. They're going to come and pray and, and, and seek me, but they're not going to find me and I'm not going to answer. And here's why. Here's why. Because they hated knowledge and they did not choose to fear the Lord. You see, they would have none of my counsel and despise my reproof. Therefore, they shall eat the fruit of their own way. And they will have the fill of their own devices. You see, God is a gracious God who gives us freedom of choice in so many arenas of life. And our character is based upon how we choose. What about our thoughts? What about our thought life? What about the things that consume our mind? When you're driving down the road and you're by yourself, what are you thinking about? When you have nothing else to think about, what comes into your mind? What are the things that you tend to just mull over? These are important indicators of your character. You see, that's why it's so important to filter our intake. You must filter your intake. So many times people have a tendency to reject what I'm about to say because it seems and it sounds so legalistic, but it's so impractical not to consider the importance of filtering the intake into your life. The books that you read, ladies, put down the romance novels. Put it away. It's polluting your mind. I'm just telling you. You got to watch what you what you read. You got to be careful what you watch. You, you need to be cautious about the, the music that you listen to and the television that you watch because your thoughts matter to God. In Philippians 4, verse 8, the Bible says, whatever things are true, whatever things are noble, whatever things are just and pure, whatever things are lovely, whatever things are of good report, if there's any virtue, if there's anything praiseworthy, meditate, think thoughts on these things. You see, when you don't filter your intake, your thought life is going to falter and it is going to impact your character. You need to examine your ambitions. You see, a lot of men in this room, their thoughts are consumed with ambitions. And you know, I don't have a problem with ambitions. I'm a very ambitious person. But here's my question. How do you plan to achieve your dreams? How do you plan to achieve your goals? This is where the rubber meets the road for a believer. There's absolutely nothing wrong with having very ambitious goals and dreams. The question is, how do you plan to achieve them? And it's going to tell by what your thoughts are. When you think about places you want to go and someone you want to be and and some things you want to achieve or things you want to see God do, do you seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness? Or do you go immediately to your own abilities? Do you begin to think about how you're going to muster the strength or the changes you're going to make to, to work yourself into position? Listen, if you're going to achieve things in life and you think you're going to do it in your own strength, you have faulty character. Because a godly character understands that God is the source of strength. So you see these things that make up character, these choices and these thoughts. And, and you know what? Affections. But, but here's the core of character. Conviction. You see, everything else about your character revolves and sort of springs out of conviction. What do you really believe? Not what do you say you believe, but what do you believe such a way that you act upon it because you know it to be true. There's an indispensable link between belief and the life that we lead. 
this is so clear, this is so obvious, and this is so often just rejected by the carnal mind. People don't want to even think about this. But the truth of the matter is, is that your life and my life is so directly linked to what we truly and honestly believe to be the truth. Churches are filled with people who say that they believe all the right things, but they don't do anything. Listen, your beliefs will determine the decisions you make. Listen, see, if, you, if, you, if you're visiting here this morning and you say, well, you know, I'm just here trying to figure out what this church believes. Listen, don't, don't listen. To, don't, it's, it's not what somebody tells you. The fact is, is that the proof of what we believe is by what we do. See, the proof that we care about the fatherless is because we do something. It's not because we tell you that, because anyone can tell you that. It's what do you do. The decisions you make will determine the outcome of your life. Your beliefs determine decisions. When you get to a crossroad in your life and you don't know whether to go left or right, I know 100% of the time it's true for you and true for me. You choose based on what you, in the bottom of your heart, believe to be the truth. Now let me break this down because I really want us to understand this. I, I love to teach this in premarital counseling. I love to teach a couple prior to getting married this principle. Because listen, you're not just going to wake up one day and be where you hope to be. It just doesn't work like that. I mean, you have to have a, you have to think this through. You have to think in advance. You got to be prepared for when the rug gets jerked out from under me. How are we going to make a decision about what we're going to do? You see, if you don't, then when you get there and you just start making these emotional decisions or, you know, your character's a little out of kilter, you're going to be in trouble. That's the reason why I, I, lo- I look at these, these two people who want to spend the rest of their life together and I say, now, now, how many people do you know that have the marriage that you would love to have, that you would dream about having? And I mean, it's just a very short list. There's a one or two or maybe three. But sometimes they look at me and go, well, we don't even know anybody. You know why? Because it doesn't just happen on accident. That's why. Well, why do we live like it's just going to fall out of the sky? No. What you truly believe matters. James says this, what is the profit of man if someone says he has faith but doesn't have works? Now, the answer is his faith is dead, according to James. That's the answer. But don't get all crazy because salvation is in Christ alone, by faith alone, through grace alone, 100%. It's, it's only through Jesus Christ and Him crucified that salvation comes. But people will try to convince you that by doing good things, you can become righteous. No. It's for by grace that we were saved through faith, not of ourselves. Not, we didn't do it. It's the gift of God, not works, lest anyone should boast. It has nothing to do with works. Works merely indicate what's truly there. You see, think this through with me. If there were no way to tell who was truly a believer and who wasn't a believer, let's just, because we like to do this and just make excuses because we don't want to deal with things. And we just go, well, I don't know. You know, I mean, I'm not the judge of their soul. I don't know who's saved and who's not saved. Well, in a sense, that's true. But if there was just no way to tell, in other words, if everyone in this room is just, who knows, we're all just here. Do you realize what a mess that would be? I mean, everything we talked about last week would just be negated, now wouldn't it? 
I mean, how would we hold each other accountable? We don't know. I mean, I wouldn't know how to hold anyone accountable because I don't know who, I don't know anything about you. I can't see anything about your life. And, and, and to think that the God of the universe would come into a life and that there wouldn't be a noticeable change is insanity. It's just insane. There's going to be a change. Now, one day we're going to preach all morning on Hebrews 11, 7. I love this passage of scripture. The Bible says, by faith, Noah, remember Noah? Big boat Noah, animal man Noah, by faith Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen, moved with godly fear. He prepared an ark for the saving of his household by which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is according to faith. This is a fantastic passage of Scripture. When you look at this, you think about this now. Noah responded to the conviction that God is trustworthy. You see, and I'm telling you that when the world is going another way, when everything around you says this can't be right, I must be wrong, there's no possible way. Noah had a heart condition. He had a conviction within him that said, I'm not perfect. We know that about Noah. Noah had issues. Noah had problems. But there was a conviction that God meant what God said. And so when God said it, Noah responded by faith. You see, that's a conviction. That That's proof that there's faith. You see, the, the Noah didn't have faith because he moved with godly fear. That's to, that's to reverse the process. The fact that he moved with godly fear proves that he had faith. Conviction will always reveal the core of a person's character. It's going to come out in your life. What your true convictions are. If you play church, it's going to be obvious. A good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. You see, there's fruit on both trees. The tree that bears good fruit does it because it's a good tree. It's not a good tree because it bears good fruit. You got to get that. Because if you just got lost, you're in trouble. Are you with me? It's a, it's a good tree, therefore it bears good fruit. It's not a good tree because it bears good fruit. That's critical to understand. You see, Jesus is teaching us that there is a way to discern. There's this radical discernment as we, as we look at this new kingdom that He's introducing us to. So let's remember the context now. The context that we've been in for the last few weeks of this part of what Jesus is saying is really based around hypocrisy. Remember? Hypocrisy, it's the worst of all character traits. The, the Greek word for hypocrisy, it means to be an actor. It means to pretend to be something that you're not. To be a fraud, to be a fake. And so that's the context. Now, let's go on to verse 44. With the context of hypocrisy in our mind, Jesus goes on. He says, now every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from bramble or briar bushes. Now, first thing I want you to do for saved people who write in their Bible, I want you to underline own. In other words, the tree is known by its own fruit. The fruit it possesses, the fruit it produces, the fruit that it's not just any fruit. It's a specific fruit. It's his own fruit. Now, why is that important? It's important because figs do not grow on thorn bushes and grapes don't grow on briars. Are you with me? But here's my question. Well, then how do they get there? 
I don't mean out in the wild. I mean in this parable, in this story, in this text. Why is Jesus even bringing this up? In other words, if it didn't exist, he wouldn't say this. Now, remember, what's the what's the context? Hypocrisy. Now, think about this for a second. You, you remember this uh, this thing that, that my grandmother used to do? Maybe your grandmother does it. If you do it, I'm sorry, I'll repent. Uh, you got this bowl on your table of plastic fruit. What's up with that? I mean, it's a kid. I just marveled at that. I, I really, I would try to chew it just to be ornery. What is up with the plastic fruit on the table? I don't know, but it's there. And it just doesn't belong there, folks. That's all I can tell you. It just doesn't. There's just something wrong with it. I don't get that. But here's the deal. It's like a fig on a briar bush. I mean, what, what is it? Is it you putting the fruit there to like tease me? Like, you know, that's what fruit looks like if I had something to give you. But since I don't, you just see it. You know what I mean? I mean, like, at least make a plastic Twinkie. Because that's going to get my attention. I'm sorry. So here's the thing. We've got fruit where it doesn't belong. All right? You with me? There's fruit on plants that don't produce this kind of fruit. Something's going on here. Jesus is drawing our attention to the fact that religion works from the outside in. Religion is if you do things, God will bless me. Religion says if you just follow the rules, you'll become righteous. Christianity is the opposite. The only way Christianity could ever work, to be authentic, it must work from the inside out. It's reversed from religion. You see, suppose you've got a tree that produces bad fruit. All right? Just for, for simple illustration. And you, you want to help the tree. You want to fix the tree. You want to minister to the tree or something. I mean, I'm not a fruitologist. I don't know how this works. But if, you, if I was, if I studied botany and I was into plants and bark and stuff like that, then here's what I would know. You don't treat the fruit. You're not going to go out to your, your bad oranges on your bad orange tree and start putting some kind of fruit medicine on the oranges. You're going to treat the roots of the tree. Because the problem with the fruit is internal in the tree. Right? Yes, you don't gather up all the the sick fruit and bring it and put it in the basket next to the plastic fruit and try to heal it. You don't do that. You treat the inside of the tree. Christianity is an inside transformation. It works from the inside out. It is not the other way around. Religion... Is outside in. Of course, it never really gets in, but that's what it presents itself as. Now, just think about the way we got into this. How does Jesus even begin all these teachings? Well, he, he begins by saying, well, blessed are those who are poor in spirit, who are humble. Blessed are those who are repentant, mourn over their sin. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. Let me ask you a question. Are those outward conditions? No. Those are inward conditions. Inward. You, you're humble and repentant and you hunger and thirst for righteousness inwardly and it results in an outward change. They're outward descriptions. See, the only thing that distinguishes these trees, really, because Jesus doesn't tell us to examine the bark, look at the shape of the leaves, the coloration of it. It's the fruit. He says, examine the fruit is what he's telling us. And so the, the goodness of the fruit is not always obvious by looking at it on the outside. You see, there's, there's pretenders out there. There's fakers out there. 
I learned, I've told y'all, some of this, some of you, I've told you this before. I mean, I learned this in such a, 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 God has a way of giving you a sermon illustration sometimes in ways you don't really enjoy. But my first trip to Brazil, I mean, I'm totally hindered. I can't speak the language and I'm just struggling and I'm not used to being in a situation where I don't at least have some command of the language and I can't communicate with anybody. And I've, and I, we were in this town and all these kids were around me and they were all, you know, standing there just like, that's the tallest guy we've ever seen in our life. And so they're more, and this little beautiful, cute girl, she comes up to me and she does this and she's got this wonderful little red, little fruit in her hand. And I'm like, thank you. And she goes, and she goes running, and then everyone starts laughing and carrying on, and I'm thinking, uh, am I going to die? What just happened? And so I get a translator over there, and I said, ask her, well, what is she laughing at? And, and then the translator started laughing. I said, shut up, tell me what's going to happen. And he said, no, she was showing you that the fruit had a worm in it. <laughs> Amen, praise the Lord. You can't tell... Oftentimes by looking at the outside. I ate the sucker. I'm telling you, I chomped it down. Swallowed the whole thing. So that's what's wrong with me. It's the worm's fault. So there you go. You gotta look internally. That's why the Bible says taste and see that the Lord is good. You gotta, you gotta experience, you gotta check it. You can't just look and see because sometimes you may be looking at plastic fruit. It may be something not real. So no matter how meticulously somebody uh, works to tie grapes to a thorn bush, it's still nothing more than ornaments on a Christmas tree. You see, those aren't part of the Christmas tree. They're just hanging there. They weren't produced by the Christmas tree. And so we've got to be wise in our discernment about what we're actually looking for. Now, remember, fruit don't give the tree life. Okay? Fruit prove the quality of life that's in the tree. And so you've got to you've got to examine the fruit closely to understand the quality of the tree that's bearing the fruit. That's why the Lord says in John 15, he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bear much fruit for without me, you can do nothing. Meaning you got no hope of producing good fruit apart from me. It's not going to happen. The Old Testament prophet Hosea. In, in the book of Hosea, verse 14, uh, chapter 14, verse 8, the Lord says, Your fruitfulness comes from me, the Lord says. It comes from me. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul says, Therefore, my beloved, if you as, have sent, have you, uh, as you have always obeyed, now is in my presence, and, not, and, and even much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now watch what Paul says. For it is God who works in you both to will and to do for His good pleasure. You see, it's in you. God works in us. That's where the fruit comes from. It's not in our own strivings. It's not in what we do. It's what God does in us. The quality of the fruit has nothing to do with the external nature of the tree. It's internal. Only the Spirit of God can produce good fruit in a person's life. Only the Spirit of God. You know, we can, we can put a spaceship on the moon. I mean, we can, we can make a, a, a cell phone do things I never even imagined a cell phone can do. We can have 3D television in our own house now. I mean, we can even make Justin Bieber a talent. We can do a lot of things, but you can't make a machine. There's a, a generation gap in here. But you can't make a machine, no matter how hard you try, that produces fruit. Now, can you? Why can't we? You ever thought about that? We can't manufacture oranges and apples and grapes. and We can't do it. It's impossible. 
Only the way the Lord intended is going to produce. It's the only way. There's no other way. You cannot make counterfeit fruit that are actually edible good fruit. Only the Lord can make good fruit here, here, everywhere. Only the Lord. Only the Lord. So man and woman, independent of God, cannot, cannot produce righteousness. You cannot do it independent from the Lord. It is impossible. Verse 45. Now the Lord says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good. And an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Now notice how this works in our issue of character. In our issue of is God producing the fruit in our life. You see, our inner character is eventually it's going to become outwardly visible. That's what the Lord's saying. It's not going to remain hidden. Now think about this fruit as it, as it pertains to, you know, God's explanation of fruit. For example, in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there is no law. Now look at verse 24 as it comes up on the screen. And those who are Christ's. You see, this is a very delineating statement that is often missed when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit. Clearly, the Bible makes absolute, crystal clear. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. In other words, the fruit is an indication of who is Christ. That's what the Bible's saying. But then we go on in Galatians 5. The next verse says, So if we live in the Spirit... If we live in the Spirit, let us also walk in the Spirit. In other words, your life, the truth about your character, is going to become outwardly visible. It is not going to remain hidden or dormant for too long. What you do will eventually reveal who you are. The fruit that you produce, the fruit that I produce, is an issue of the heart. An unconverted heart cannot produce good fruit. But a converted heart, as we're about to see, has a whole different ability, has a whole different opportunity to be used by God. This issue of the heart is important. Jesus doesn't just give us this little, uh, uh, you know, this, this little illustration of, well, out of the, the good treasure of your heart or out of the evil treasure of your heart. No, no. Your heart's condition, I mean, it, it flows throughout all of your life. That's why the, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 4, keep your heart with all diligence, for out of it spring the issues of life. It's coming out. So you see, when I'm looking at fruit, when I'm thinking about this issue, when I'm, when I'm wondering, now is this heart converted? Is this heart not converted? What's going on with this fruit? See, a lot of t- fruit inspection is not always just converted, non-converted. Sometimes fruit inspection is, you know, what's going on with you? You know, what's your, what's your story? I mean, what's, what's your situation? Where do you look first? Relationships. That's where you look. You know what I want to do if I want to know about your fruit? I look to see how you treat the people closest to you. I want to know how you treat your spouse. I want to know how you relate to your kids. I want to know how you relate to the people in the family of God. Because relationships are always a clear indicator of what's going on in here. What kind of treasures in the heart? Because you look at that list in Galatians chapter 5. 
of the fruit of the Spirit. And you watch how relational all those fruit are. Now, that's not an exhaustive list, but in that list, they're almost all completely relational. So if you want to see, it's not a mystery. You just begin to examine a person's relationships and begin to see, hey, what's going on with them? You know, where, where are they? How do they relate to people? You know, are they always embroiled in conflict? Is there always strife between other family members in the, in the church? Or, or there, is, there, is there people in their family and there's all this strife and all this bitterness? And, you know, families are complicated. And I understand that. Believe me, no one has a more complicated family than me. They're really complicated. And here's the deal. I understand that. And sometimes people act in a way they ought not act. But here, here's, here's my question. I got the most Looney Tune family you've ever seen, ever. Some of you were all together in that. You talked to me about how messed up your family is and how your upbringing was, and I, can, I shake my head. I'm with you. But here's, here's what I work really hard not to do. I don't run them down. I, I, don't, I don't berate them. I, I don't talk negatively about them. I pray for them. I mean, I love them. I want God to work in their life. I want good things for them. And yes, they're a mess. But I love them. But when I hear a, when I hear a person who runs down, it concerns me. Why, why are you running down people that, that, you, that God's put you in relationship with? Why, why are there people that you don't talk to? Oh, no, no, we don't speak. Man, don't, newsflash, don't ever say that to me. Don't ever say that to me because I'm going to sit you down and have a talk. Don't ever tell me that there's somebody where we don't speak. Where does that come from? Where does that come from? See, that there is a, a heart issue. There is a character issue. Something's wrong. The Bible says, let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth, but what is good for building up, that it may impart grace to the hearers. You, you know that word corrupt, that corrupt word in the Greek, it means putrid. It, it means a word that will cause decay. So this isn't, this isn't cursing. That's not what this word means. Paul dealt with that earlier in Ephesians. This word is running people down, is trying to cause decay in people, is saying things that are hurtful. So let me just give you a couple of illustrations now that's real quiet in here. Gossip, okay? Gossip is wrong. And here's what gossip is. Gossip is saying what you would never say to someone's face. You know, when you talk about somebody behind their back, you better ask yourself before you say it, would I say that if they were standing here? And if the answer is no, shut your mouth. Don't say it. Flattery is saying what you would never say behind their back. Y'all are so slow. Some of y'all are like, what? Yeah. That's flattery. Don't say something to someone's face that you wouldn't say behind their back. That's not true. Don't say that. That's wrong. And, and here's the thing. Honesty. We, we want to be honest in all things, but, but we don't want to be totally honest. You understand? No, you don't. Let me explain it to you. You want to make sure in honesty that everything that comes out of your mouth is true, but you don't want to say everything that's true. That's going to be a disaster. I mean... Let me tell you something, fellas. If your wife comes parading out to go out to dinner wearing some hideous dress covered with plastic fruit, 
Don't tell the truth. Get in the car and go eat dinner. Shut your mouth. You see, if you just say everything that's true, no one's going to hang around you. It's going to be bad. But what we do say needs to be genuine and true in love. So it's just simple, practical issues of life that we, we want to spiritualize and complicate this issue of fruit and get all mystical and like, well, I don't know. I need to go talk to Brother Tony because, you know, I don't know if they're, if they're this or if they're that. But just open your eyes and listen and look. Does it mean that we all have to be perfect? No, it doesn't mean we all have to be perfect. But here's what we look for. When we're looking at examining our relationships with one another, when we're examining our lives, and when we're, we're looking at people we care about and we love and who are in our family, the question is not, are they perfect or do they make mistakes? My goodness, the question is, is there a pattern of transformation in their life? You see, that's what you're looking for. You're looking for transformation. You're looking for, are they more like Christ today than they were yesterday? Are they more compassionate or loving or patient today than they were a year ago? Is God transforming? See, the, the problem is that some people are growing extremely slow. And, and that's a problem. But that's not for t- this morning. But it's a problem. But do you see transformation? Listen, the Bible says in Titus chapter 3, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His m- mercy He saved us. Through the washing and regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. That's God's work in you and me. Now, when you run people down, you work against God. You're running down the people that He's building up. Now, I'm just going to tell you, there's a lot of things I don't want to be, but way up at the top of the list is I don't want to be working against God. That's not a good place to be. So you need to be very, very careful before you open your mouth and start revealing what sort of treasure there is in your heart. Because, listen, God's building people up. Think about this. In John chapter 17, where Jesus is praying to the Father, you want to know about Jesus? Just study John 17. I tell you that all the time. It's a great, great chapter of Scripture. But in verse 22, Jesus is praying for His disciples, the 12, or the 11, and He's praying for them, and He's thanking God for them, and and then He's praying for those who are going to believe in Him through them, for you and me. And here's what He says. Amazing. He says, And the glory which you gave me, Father. This is Jesus speaking. He says, The glory that you gave me, I have given them. Now, you just got to think about this a minute. Have given. In other words, if you're saved this morning, Jesus is saying, I have given them the glory you gave me. Now, maybe you don't understand what that means, but you got to at least confess that that's an amazingly great gift. So what is this glory? Well, in John 1, verse 14, we sang about it this morning. Think about this. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory of the only begotten Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. What was, what was the glory of Jesus? Jesus spoke the truth, and He spoke it in grace. He brought grace and truth. And the Bible says that He's given that glory to you and to me. And so we have no excuse. No excuse. You see, if you're a child of God, you have the capacity to be a purveyor of grace to the people around you. You do. You do. And if you're not, you see, if you speak harshly to people around you, if you're critical, if you're condemning, then you need to examine your heart this morning. 
Because Jesus is, is laying this out and He's saying, now look, look at what's really going on. Every believer has received the excellence of God's character within them. All of us. So there's no excuse that we can't. And you know what? We all need grace, all of us. And you know what? God's grace is just grace upon grace, isn't it? It's, it's never ending. It's unlimited. But we limit it, don't we? By the way we talk to each other. By the way we, we speak harshly to each other. By the way we sometimes break each other down. No. It, it's not just about the things we say. What about the things we don't say? What about, what about the people that are in our lives and God's given each of us one mouth and unlimited words? Are there people that you love, that you haven't told them, that you love them lately? You know, in other words, have you ever thought about how many days go by that we don't tell the people that we love we love them? How many days go by that we don't take a second of our time to build up our children? Not a day should go by that we don't build up the people around us because we have the capacity. We have no excuse. There's no reason for you to have your lips shut. There's no reason for you to sit here this morning and think to yourself, man, that is so me. Change today. Make every day an opportunity for you to show grace to someone else, to build someone else up. Make your words. God's given you the ability to use your mouth. If you're His, His character is in you. Use it. Build up people. Be grace purveyors to people. Because remember the context of how we got here. In verse 39 and 40, here's what Jesus said. Can the blind lead the blind? Remember that? Or won't they both end up in a ditch? See, if you have a blind leader, you're going to end up in a ditch. But here's what the Lord says. A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is perfectly trained is like his teacher. So here's what it's all about. Fruit. Good fruit only comes from the Lord. The question is, how much do you look like your teacher this morning? Do people see Jesus in you? Because I'm looking across this room and here's what I see. I see people in this room that I would never, ever question their salvation. You know why? Because I see Jesus in them all the time. I see them. I see them because they're walking with that teacher and they look like their teacher. But I talk to people every day. They're like the blind leading the blind and they're in a ditch. And they're trying to figure out how to get out. And I said, look, you got the wrong teacher. You got the wrong teacher. So here's my challenge for you this morning. We could spend all day arguing about what kind of tree you are. And we may get somewhere and we may not. But if there's people around you right now and they're not sure what kind of tree you are, something's wrong. Something's wrong. Maybe you're not saved. Maybe you are saved. But something is wrong. Because every single person in this auditorium ought to look like Jesus. All of us. All of us. So my challenge to you is not to get hung up. Not to get hung up 
on, on all the details of the particulars. Just be honest. If you're here and you're sitting next to somebody and you just don't know. If somebody says, you know, well, hey, is so-and-so saved? You're like, I don't know. That's a problem. And you know what? The problem can be solved this morning. Whatever the problem is, it can be solved this morning. Let's just put away all the doubt. Let's just put away all the questions. Let's just put away all the, all the, the, the hindrances and all the obstacles. And let's just be honest before the Lord. You say, God, do I look like you? Because, you know, maybe there's somebody that you need to go to. Maybe there's someone you need to take by the arm and walk up here to the altar and pray. But every time you think about it, you don't because you're just not sure. Well, that's why you should is because you're not sure. That's why you should. So let's stand and bow our heads. And let's let the Lord examine our hearts. And let's thank God that He gives us an opportunity to be in a place where it's okay to stumble. It's okay to fall. It's okay. It's okay. I just want to be like my teacher. Father, will You do the work in this room that only You can do, Lord? I thank You for bringing each of these people here this morning, Lord. And I thank You, Father, for speaking to us. Now, Lord, I pray that you, Father, would bring forth fruit in this time. God, that all doubts would be cast away. Lord, all fear would be cast away. That in this moment, we don't care anymore what people think. This isn't about, this isn't about anything outside of this. But this is about us and you, Lord, personally. When we look at the cross, do we know for sure that you died for us. Do the people around us see you in us? God, will you just stop all the striving of trying to make fruit look good in our own strength? And Lord, help us surrender to you. God, I pray that you would do in this time what only you can do in Jesus' name.